Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish, Joe Ranieri, our second hour of FST here on the 9th of April, 2020. In case you missed yesterday's show, go back and watch it. You can catch it on demand. Just go to sportsgrid.com. We post all of our YouTube videos there, and uh, we post them in different hours, hour number one, hour number two. Uh, As you guys know, every week we're doing the Fantasy League Legends draft. We had the 80s draft last week. We had the 90s draft. This week, and we touched on the first round of how we performed and some of the top players in the history of the 90s. And so, Joe, I thought it'd be a good idea not just to do the first round. I had a lot of people on social media, especially people who have been paying attention to to this show. They want to see the second round as well. So I thought let's... Uh, all three of you. Very nice. Very round of applause. Very good. That's there was it. six. There was six. Oh, sorry. I bet exponentially growing. Are we including yeah. my dad or no? Yeah, I was going to say, but I'm in, man. Let's. I'm excited. I already don't agree with half of these, so that's good. We're wow, in. a debate. Yep. Embrace Can't wait to see this. All right. Let's think now this it. is round, the beginning of second or round two, right? All right. This so we'll go first, to the top this is ones round first. Round two, so two point yep. one in All the right. fantasy world. That's what it looks like. So we're going to start off with Juan Gonzalez of 1993. Joe, did you know that Juan Gonzalez won two MVPs in the American League? I did, and uh, that was the year they just, uh, that was right around the time they kept getting their asses handed to them by the Yankees, right? In the playoffs, is that it? They didn't go very far. Yeah. Uh, Juan Gonzalez won the MVP in 1993. He had 46 home runs, 118 runs driven in, he hit 310. Juan Gonzalez also won the MVP, by the way, in 1998 with 45 Mm. home runs, 157 runs driven in. Uh, he was part of the steroid era, and a lot of people like sort of lump him in, in in that category. And he really never was even considered for the Hall of Fame or anything else. But his lifetime numbers are ridiculous. Yeah, they're crazy. Well, he and, was a big dude even before the steroids. And, but no I one mean, ever talks about him. Yeah, that's, no, one, no one ever talks about him at all. Yeah, Palmero killed him. But yes, I mean '93 was not really a steroid. I think I think I agree. I agree with right? you. Right. Like, I mean, we're not talking to at least no, 95, 90s. 96. Yes. You know yes. what I mean? At the yes. earliest. So, guys, you remember how big he was? <laughs> dude was he was just, big when he was born. Exactly. Dude was just absolutely tremendous. And, um, and I think that's a shame because his numbers speak for themselves before and after steroids. Yeah. And, and his career, he was kind of cut short because of injuries at the end. He actually tried to... Uh, make a comeback with the St. Louis Cardinals. He was in Jupiter for one year, and I remember Did seeing him. Did he really? Him. Was he? Yeah, yeah. Like many, many years ago, and he just, it was it was an ill-fated comeback, but they brought him in as a non-roster invitee. He didn't make the team, and that was the end of his career. Um, okay, so uh, Mike Piazza was the highest catcher taken in either fantasy draft that we had in the 80s or the 90s. In fact, he was the only catcher drafted in the first five rounds of the 90s fantasy draft. Really? And he was, yeah, I mean, look, but his numbers were just so far above any other catcher that we've ever seen in the history of the game Mm. that, uh, and his 97 season is the one that everybody talks about still to this day. When he was with the Dodgers, Mike Piazza batted 362. Wow. 362, unbelievable season he had. He was so good with LA. Uh, great with the Mets also, make no mistake about it. And, and, and look, some people thought he was a better Met than he was a Dodger. But truthfully, uh, 97, 362, 40 home runs, 124 runs driven in, led the league in OPS. And that was the first of six straight All-Star games mm. for Mike Piazza with the Dodgers. Then, of course, they traded him to the Marlins for a week. And then the Marlins traded him to the Mets. And, uh, and the rest is history. So but, he was the yeah. second pick in the second round. An uh, interesting selection. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and uh, and a Hall of Famer, by the way. Yeah, yeah, and no steroids. <laughs> I'm sorry, something in my throat there for a minute. <clears throat> Lost you there a little bit. Yeah, you were, break, you were breaking up there. Yeah, yep. Sorry. With <clears throat> Skype. Mm. All right, uh, Kevin Brown of 1998. Uh, Kevin Brown in '97 won the World Series with the Marlins. They broke up the team, and sent uh, Brown to San Diego. Kevin Brown led the Padres to the World Series in 1998. People just completely forget about that. How good that Padres team was in '98. Yeah. Uh, Brown won 18 games, 2.38 earned run average. He struck out 257 batters, which was a career high for him in 257 innings. 
and went on to have some pretty good years in L.A., but he was one of those few guys, Joe, that went to the Yankees and got eaten up by the media and everything else, and it, and it just did he not work out for that. Yeah, he was kind of a strange dude anyway. That's uh, true, too. Yeah, he was. And did you cover him here with the Marlins back when he was here? Did yeah, you... not, not a nice guy. Yeah, no, he exactly. Total but, cool day. But I'll tell you what, he came back for the anniversary, and he was nice as could be. Really? Nice as could be. Interesting. Yeah, damage is done, dude. Once a tool, always a tool. Um, right. He was, uh, you're right, that Bruce Bochy. That was that Bruce Bochy year, wasn't it, at San Diego when yes. he was there? That team was, whoo! They played the Yankees. They got swept. Well, I, the problem is they ran into the Yankees, but yeah, that was Yankees. actually a very good, uh, very, very good team. He was weird. He was, you know, a lot. The problem was you go to New York, and part of your contract is you get your own private plane. Like, the, the New York media got a hold of that. It was just he didn't stand a chance there. Yeah, a lot of guys don't. Um, yeah. Sonny, Sonny Gray recently didn't have a good experience in New York. Right. Uh, Kenny Rogers, remember Kenny Rogers, the pitcher that went? He got in a fight with a reporter, right? Better with the Rangers, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it happens like yep. that. So Kevin Brown was part of that. I'm shocked he went like second round, third pick is beyond me. Yeah, because of the strikeouts. Yeah, the strikeouts. 257 was yep. a lot for then. Yep. Now it's now it's. That's not commonplace now, but now it's a lot easier to get that. You could not, you couldn't find a lot of guys. Wow, you got to run a pitchers here, huh? Yeah, yeah. It went pitcher, 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 back to back to back with picks uh, three, four, and five in the second round. So we hit Kevin Brown. Uh, Greg Maddox, listen, every year he had from from 1990 to 1999 was a Cy Young year. I mean, the guy ended up winning uh, four Cy Youngs. What were his numbers in 95 that that was the year you picked? Yeah, that was the the second, the most games that he won with with a combined lowest ERA. Wow. So it was a 1.63 ERA, 19-2 and two oh, man. on the season, 10 complete games, three shutouts, 181 strikeouts. And uh, this was the fourth. He, uh, Greg Maddox won four Cy Young Awards. This was the fourth one in a row that he now, had won. Now, Sm- uh, I'm trying to think. Because Schmaltz was a starter and Maddox, though. So Schmaltz wasn't in the bullpen yet. This was Rocker. Was that the rocker days of 95? Yes. Yeah, because they went yeah. to the Yankees and, and lost after being up two. Yes, but this 96 season, if I'm not mistaken, was the year... Uh, was this the year? No, the, uh, 98 was when the Braves won the World Series. So, no, 96 was not. But Yeah, 96, they going up 2 nothing on the Yankees and lost. Yes, and they lost. Right. And that that was Wetland. and uh, But, yeah, no, that's right. They didn't. So, Smoltz was still a starter in 96. Yes. What, so, what the so hell were those numbers like? <laughs> 24 and 8. Wow. 2.94 earned run average. This wow. is when wins meant a lot. Uh, 276 strikeouts and more than Maddox. Wow. 253 innings. So, his ERA was a full run higher than Maddox, which is why he went after Maddox in this draft. Right. Uh, and his whip was 1.001. So How that's many the, walks did these guys have? What did Maddox and Smoltz have from a walk ratio? Maddox had 20. 20. <laughs> and 11 were intentional. <laughs> oh, that's just, that is and funny. At 55. Wow. 20 walks. <laughs> How, what do you have as an ERA? 1.6? 1.63. Oh, my word. <laughs> very impressive. You don't All see right, that so very often. Those are the first five picks. Let's move mm. on to uh, the next five picks in, uh, in the round. Now, I, I know that this first one comes a little bit of as a surprise. But Sean Green, for a very short period of time, yeah. was a really dominant hitter. Remember, Sean Green hit four home runs in one game. Yes. And in 1999, he he basically was a free agent. He was going to be a free agent, and he put together a 42 home run, 123 RBI season, a 309 uh, batting average. He was a Gold Glove winner. He was mm-hmm. a Silver Slugger. He stole 20 bases. And then he signed with the Dodgers, and he put three unbelievable seasons together as well with them. And then injuries started catching up, and his career kind of went the other way. But a really good player overall with a with a very short window of unbelievable seasons is yes. how I, I summarize Sean Green. And remember, at this stage in the drafts that we're doing, stolen bases do mean something. And he stole 20 bases that year, so 42 home runs and 20 stolen bases for Sean Green in what people think his best season was ever, uh, 1999. Uh, another Brave starter. Wow, this is a shock. Yeah. So, so Tom yeah. Glavin, we're using his. Uh, oh, we got Ricky. Excuse me. We got Ricky Henderson in 1990. Right. Um, and every year for Ricky Henderson is 30 home runs and 30 steals. You get that, especially in, in those days too. Uh, 1991, we go to Tom Glavin. Wow. And let's see. Was this Glad, uh, Glavin won the Cy Young in 1991? Uh, this was his first of three straight 20-win seasons, 2.55 yep. earn run average, 
192 strikeouts. He was never a huge strikeout guy in 246 innings and uh, 69 walks. And Glavin then uh, went off the board. Now, uh, do you remember this next guy? And do you remember this next season, Joe? Brady Brady Anderson. Yes. Brady yes. Anderson. Because he hit 50, did he not? One year. Yes, that one, was it. How did this ever happen? Yep. This, this was the one season that when people talk about the history of the game yep. and the outliers of the game, everyone yep. says, like, oh, remember Brady Anderson. It is so true. Yep. But the season that he had in 1996 is worthy of a second-round pick in one this draft. One the ages, absolutely I, I, correct. Brady Anderson's yep. career high in home runs to the point where he hit 50 was 21 home runs. Yep. And he hit 50. It's like Luis Gonzalez on mm-hmm. Arizona. Same thing. Yep. Uh, uh, he hit 50 home runs in 96, 21 steals. That's huge, again, in this type of game. 117 runs in a 297 batting mm-hmm. average. There are some people who speculated that this was the poster for the steroid era. Absolutely. This was, this was probably the one. Yep. Uh, Randy Anderson went on. He played four more year, five more years in Major League Baseball. He had 24 home runs one of those years, but certainly never came close to that 50 home run year, but we're not discriminating against steroids, uh, honestly, Joe. We're just taking No, no, listen, it, it, he had to, you know, he had to deliver. That was a uh, pretty big year for him there, and that was just, you know, he could steal, too. He was a, uh, I always thought he was a great player. I mean, he was a tough-nosed player. He was a guy that just had one year that's, you know, was just ridiculous. Absolutely. And he's a pretty I, good I, defensive yeah. player, too. He was, yeah. yeah. And he came up with the Red Sox, yep. and he ended up, with, uh, with the Orioles later on yeah. as, as Wasn't a... Wasn't he with Cleveland for a while, too? One year, yeah. Yeah, one, one year. year. Yeah, he he um, he um was working as an executive with the Orioles for a long period of time when uh, yes. Angel, Angelos and their previous regime was there, but I, I don't I don't know if he's still doing anything with them now. Wow. Uh, and then the final pick uh, here in the top 10 in the second round was Vinny Castilla. This is the third Rockies player that was taken in the first 10 picks, amazingly. And the reason why, you said, how can Vinny Castilla possibly go ahead of these guys? Well, in 1998, Vinny Castilla, 46 home runs, 144 RBIs, 319 batting average, 362 on base, and a career-high 206 hits. He finished top 10 in the MVP voting. He was an all-star, a silver slugger. and, And simply put, Joe, the reality of the situation is that when the Rockies came into baseball yep. in the mid '90s, no one knew what was going to happen, and it just and everybody on those Colorado. We'll see it again in the next decade when we have the draft coming up next week. If you if you were on the Rockies, the odds are you get to have a really good season. By the way, Vinny Castilla left Colorado, signed with Tampa Bay, right? Put together, a, you know. A, Crappy season, went to Houston, mm-hmm. eh, he was okay. Went to Atlanta, uh, he was okay. And then went back to Colorado and led yep. the league in RBIs again. Yeah. That wasn't a great, well, what that was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, those, um, that Rockies team was, wasn't that uh, Bichette and Ellis Burks we yeah, just Blake talked Street about? Bombers. Well, yeah, yeah, right. Ellis Burks was on that team, had another, yeah. you know, had a couple of years there. That was, they weren't great, the Rockies, but they did have some outliers at that point that were just mashing. Yeah. Um, remember, they yep. played at Mile High Stadium well, for the first couple of years, too, before yes. they went to Coors Field. Yep. So, yeah, I remember uh, Bichette was on that team, too, as they had some guys that just hit my, and Castilla could. He could park it, man. He could I mean, Andres Galarraga. Galarraga, yeah, the cat was there. Yep, and five guys hitting 40 home runs at that yep. time. Walker was gone, right? Uh, Walker was still there. Was he still yeah. there? Yeah, Walker was still there. Yeah. Wow, just yeah. unreal. All right, let's cap off the first round. We got five more, or second round. We got five more players. Uh, we'll do this quickly. Uh, Jeff Bagwell in 1994, that was the year that he won the MVP. Some people speculate to this day that had they uh, played out the final 50-60 games of 1994, he would have put up the best uh, numbers for any first baseman yeah. in the history of the game. He, uh, in only 110 games, he had 39 home runs, 116 runs driven in, wow. 368 batting average with 104 runs. If you extrapolate 50 more games, mm-hmm. Jeff Bagwell's hitting 50 home runs, driving 150 runs in, and scoring 130 runs. It may have ended up being. Now, Bagwell went on and, and had some unbelievable years yes. still. With Houston, 40 homers, 47 homers, 43 homers. But that was the one lost season that he potentially could have, uh, you know, some people feel like had the best season of all time. Yep. Uh, Roberto Alomar, very oh, consistent geez. and very easy to just look over the course of his career. Virtually every year that he had, 
uh, in the early part of his career, Ridiculous. was an all-star. Yeah. Uh, in 1999, he had moved on to the Cleveland Indians, yep. and he scored a league-high 138 runs, 24 homers, 120 yep. runs driven in, uh, Gold Glove Award winner, so and, good. Uh, 37 stolen bases. Yeah. And what a defensive glove, my God. Yeah, San Diego, <laughs> yeah. Toronto, Baltimore, yep. Cleveland. Uh, he won't be in the next era draft, I don't think. Well, maybe he will. He uh, might, two, yeah. 2020, he had 20 home runs again, 100 runs driven in. Yep. Uh, Nomar Garciaparra. Ah, oh, the forgotten one. Yeah, Nomar Garciaparra. Yeah. Um, this was one of his best seasons in 1993 with the Boston Red Sox. Mm -hmm. This is when, uh, you know, basically at this at this stage, he was still one of the uh, elite guys in the game at his position. He hit 357. With 27 homers, 104 runs driven in, and then we close out, of course, with uh, Barry Larkin, uh, yes. another another great player in 1996. So, uh, Joe, that's the second round of mm -hmm. our uh, of our League of Legends from 1990 to 1999. I've run through them all. I haven't let you talk at all. Any any thoughts on? Uh, no, I I mean lo I love it. I mean those those guys just on that last page. I mean uh, Bagwell that 94 season was also a lot of people. Uh, uh, would thought that might have been the end uh, there of uh, baseball. Wasn't sure if that was going to uh, ever yeah. recover, and if it wasn't for uh, you know McGuire and everyone else, and so so like we even Cal Ripken Jr. There, a lot being, of people point to that. Yep, game absolutely. That, yeah. uh, but Larkin too was another guy that did it for so long. I mean, uh, with Cincinnati, he was there. And poor Nomar was just in the wrong era, man, because he had to come up and deal with Jeter and A-Rod, and he was just true. always... It's true. Yeah, he just always... And they, and they trade him the year that they win the World Series. That's like, correct. And, he, and to this yep. day, like, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you know, while he was very popular amongst the fans, yep. and, and listen, when I see him now, he's very nice. He works for the Dodgers, but... I think even back then, when they won the World Series, they had determined to not give him his full playoff share or something yep. like that. I yep. mean, I don't know. I mean, he he wanted out of yep. Boston, essentially. Don't blame him. I'm sure it. Oh, he had Mia Hamm at that point. He was all right. <laughs> and, and, they, and they went on to win two World Series championships without him. Yeah. But he was with Boston from 96 to 2000 and almost like 2000. Like the fifth Beatle. Oh. <laughs> rough, man. Rough, rough. Yeah, terrible. you're right though. When we talk and we when we talk about that era of shortstops, he was right up there with all those guys, yes. but doesn't get the credit. And then unfortunately, nope. as soon as he got to the Cubs, the injury started coming in. Yep. And he had a couple of good years after that, but never quite the same as he uh, was. Yeah. And also cuz I I will answer this on the uh, on the way back uh, in next uh, segment here, but Seems to me like there's, like, Biggio's not on it. It seems to me there's a lot of 300 hitters. We'll you know, have some. We'll have right, some. Yeah, the difference between, I'll tell you real quick, the difference between uh, Gwynn and Boggs and, right. and all those guys in this era right. is that there's so many home run hitters now. Like, so, all yeah, those guys that we mentioned, point, Tim Raines, they, gotcha. they, they went so high in that 80s draft that we yes, had. Right. They can't go high now because everyone's hitting 300 gotcha. and hitting 30 home runs. All right, we'll uh, be back on Fantasy Sports today after this quick timeout. Craig and Joe, don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Fantasy Sports Today, back here with you on the Sports Grid Network. Make sure you catch our show every day, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. However you're watching it, whether you're on sportsgrid.com, YouTube, Pluto TV, Zumo TV, or Stir. Also, we're available on the Amazon Fire Stick, as well as Apple TV. And audio-wise, on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, and basically wherever you hear your podcast. So a lot of different ways that you can watch and listen to this show. So, uh, Joe, as we kind of continue our historical look at the best stadiums mm -hmm. and the most iconic stadiums of all time and the most iconic players of all time, I thought maybe today we would do something a little bit different. Now, yesterday on the show, we went into uh, Madison Square Garden yes. and we talked about the NBA a little bit. I thought today would be interesting to maybe dive into a lot of college football. So, as it pertains to uh, college football and stadiums are concerned, which ones for you come to mind as as like the most iconic college football stadiums of all time? Well, 
Pick, take your pick in the SEC. I mean, uh, as far as that goes, I mean, the Swamp is a very unique place, uh, you know, and you know that having gone yep. there, you know, all the bodies that Hernan is buried there. Um, so there's oh, no, the Swamp, was it too soon? Um, the Orange Bowl would have come to mind, you know what I mean, as one of those you had to be there to experience it, to understand it. Like, I, I still to this day, it's, it's one of the strangest experiences ever, having gone to a University of Miami game, was just off the, off the chain. Um, the Coliseum, I mean, USC out, uh, out west, that, that's uh, out one, two, I think that really, really stands out to me as far as uh, iconic goes, but Okay. Uh, maybe the big house in Michigan is probably the most. I think that's a big one. Storied, yeah. right? I mean, that's probably the most storied. Even though I know you've been in that, I hear the University of Wisconsin. There is nothing like going to a football game there. Yeah, no, I haven't been there. No, yep. I, I, I haven't been to Madison to a game. Yep. No, that's that's one that I'll have to check out. Yeah, I know. Um, the one that we're going to do today, I actually have not been to. I've been to a lot of different college football stadiums and places and. Well, for four years at the University of Florida, I traveled around sometimes uh, in the SEC and yep. went to see a lot of different places. But uh, the stadium that we're going to touch on today, I have never been to. So let's uh, let's really? kind of throw it out there. Yeah, I have. Have you ever been to Notre Dame? I haven't been to Indiana in any time uh, recently. But um, there is if you, if you go to there, you, you almost have to go to. Uh, uh, Indiana U for uh, basketball, the um, the arena there too. We got that's a trip we'd have to make both with uh, together. Oh, absolutely. Yep, I would love that. All right, so let's get started here with uh, Notre Dame Stadium. Yeah, it's uh, it's basically what it's called. Surprised to see that mm. they opened up in 1930 at this wow. stadium. So remember, all of the stadiums that we review and when our I review and Joe reviews the teams and the players, the championships. Uh, these are strictly the days that the stadium was open. Right. Because, again, we could be here all day talking about the, all the different stadiums that just individual teams have played mm -hmm. in. But this is specifically the one that opened up in 1930. Yep. Home of the Notre Dame firing uh, Fighting Irish. Firing, too. And college football championships. There's some debate as to how many they've won in total. Uh, they have been declared championships 11 times because of the way that it used to work with the different polls. Remember the AP poll and the yep. UP poll and the UPI poll and all, all the other polls. Uh, a total of 13 championships were given to Notre Dame, but we're going to use 11 as the barometer here. And so as a comparison to some of the other stadiums in college football, I think that there's no question this is historic. If you go back and listen to yesterday's show, I thought Joe made a really good point. I mean, when you're talking about one school, Joe, that gets their own TV contract, yep. and I know that the SEC is getting very close to, I mean, look, there's a million different stadiums in the SEC. There's, you know, a dozen or more teams, but this is just one team, one place, and they're able to get that huge contract that they got from NBC. And I got to tell you, Initially, it looked like it was a disaster, and I know a lot of people said, oh, Notre Dame, why would you pay for that? They had yep. some lean years there, too. Uh, Charlie Weiss was the head coach there for a few years. Bob mm -hmm. Navy was the head coach for a few years, too. But say what you want about Brian Kelly, even mm -hmm. though I don't think they'll ever win a championship with him because once they face off with some of the elite talent around college football, just like they did a couple of years ago against Clemson, it showed yep. that they don't, they're never going to have those speed guys that LSU and Alabama and – and some of these teams are going to have. But they always play well enough, and they're always ranked high enough to start mm -hmm. the season. Yep. And I think that's probably part of it, too. They're always ranked in the top 10. And so because they're an independent, they're always going to have a chance to play for the uh, college football playoff and the championship. Yeah, you know, the thing that amazes me when you think about Notre Dame is that that was the stadium Newt Rockney built. And, you know, that's a name that is synonymous with uh, college football and, uh, you know, talk about the coaches of all coaches. That's how a lot of guys all throughout the years, guys, uh, Newt Rockney was the guy. And he wanted that stadium, but, like, he wanted it for Notre Dame. And it's all brick, too. So I, re I remember seeing something about him where the amount of bricks that they used to build this stadium and guys are working on it seven days a week. Like, it was he wanted it built and he wanted it built his way with the fans. And it, it had, at the time, I think, in 1930, think about this, 60-something, 60, 60, 65,000 seats, yeah. that it was it was grass forever. And they didn't really start making so – they eventually added, I think, about 20,000 seats. But it was 60,000 seats was – 
was the number for a long, long time with Grassfield and a lot of history in uh, in that stadium and around that uh, around that campus for sure. No yeah, I'll, I'll you know, maybe one day I'll be able to check it out. I don't yeah. know that it's necessarily on my list, but you know, it's 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 definitely a place that yeah. that seems to be on a lot of people's bucket list. Eleven so championships, my word. Yeah. All Thanks, right. So, <laughs> so, the, so the iconic players that played in this stadium mm -hmm. starting in 1930, I've come up with uh, five that I feel like uh, we don't need to do two pictures of this today. I feel like just one. Yep. Uh, Paul Horning in the 50s was their quarterback and running back at the same time. So uh, he yep. goes in there. He's part of a couple of championships. Alan Page, the defensive lineman who ended up getting into the college football and pro football Hall of Fame. So Alan Page is on this list. Obviously. Uh, Joe Montana mm -hmm. is going to be on here, uh, arguably either the greatest or second greatest pro football quarterback of all time, arguably a top five college football quarterback of all, of all time, although the numbers are now so skewered with these crazy offense yep. uh, that that they have running. It's like Montana's numbers don't look like anybody else's anymore. They're just not that impressive. Uh, Tim Brown was phenomenal at wide receiver, uh, Heisman and all, and then the same thing. He didn't have a great NFL career. But there was no one as dominant in the one season that Rocket Ismail uh, was for Notre Dame also carrying them to a championship. And so I look back on it now, and it, it's, it seems as though we always judge Notre Dame, Joe, based on the quarterbacks. And you know the names through the years that they've had. You mm -hmm. know, Rick Meyer was there yeah. for a number of years. But uh, simply put, that that's kind of always been their issue when you think about it in the last 20 years they just haven't been able to find great quarterbacks there and none when you think about it if i'm not mistaken have really panned out in the nfl yeah so, no well i mean there's a couple of guys on his list um i would probably have included and one of them would be the bus uh yeah, jerome bettis, yeah, yeah. Jerome bettis uh, was definitely there those um those years of the Catholics versus the convicts uh, there with Jimmy Johnson in Miami, and uh, you know this, Mish, those were some of the, um, some, they were not good for <laughs> for extended period of time. Yeah. They didn't really have, uh, it was hard, man. I mean, people, it's cold, it's, you know, the grade point, I mean, you know, it's not easy to get into, and um they always seemed like they were behind the eight ball a little bit and then of course uh, a little guy with these giant ears comes in and uh and that was it man they beat uh, jimmy johnson and uh, and that miami team and uh, it was all uphill from there but they've had such history of of players that the ones that did translate to the nfl they're in the hall of fame Yep, for sure. I mean, that's pretty much it, right? So, Tony Rice was a great quarterback yes. for them also. Yep. Uh, didn't didn't play in the NFL, but yep. uh, but certainly was a great quarterback at Notre Dame. He's somebody who didn't make the cut for me, but still there. You mentioned Bettis. That is a great one, too. Reggie yep. Brooks oh, was also yes. a great running back yep. for Notre Dame and had a pretty good NFL uh, career, I believe, with the Cincinnati Bengals. Mm -hmm. uh, Golden Tate, strong wide receiver for years with them. And Justin Tuck, you know what's funny is that I saw Justin Tuck's name when I was going back through Notre Dame history. Huck? Really? Yeah. yeah, I don't remember him playing for Notre Dame. I don't remember him playing for Notre Dame at all. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. I guess he had to play somewhere, but no, I don't remember that. Wow, I wouldn't have, uh, I would never have known of that. That's uh, that's very interesting. Yeah, so uh, yeah, look, Notre Dame again, because mm -hmm. of who they are and because of being independent, yep. they're, they're always ranked going into the season and people don't like it. But I think that what happened for me and I think for a lot of college football is that they were very reluctant two years ago to put them into the college football playoff Yeah, because they thought that they would get smoked. And they were a 20-point 20, 20 underdog against Clemson. If I'm not mistaken, they lost like 60-2 to two or yep. something like that. That's yeah. exactly correct. Yep. It's going to be really hard for them ever to compete against some of these athletes on some of the I, other teams. Yeah, I don't so, know how. That's I don't think they'll get into the I don't think they'll get in a college football playoff again. Right. I don't. I, I, even if they're on the outside looking, I don't know how you could put them in there unless they completely change the way that they play. They're good enough to beat Michigan. Right. Uh, you know, they're good enough to play some of these running teams. But once mm -hmm. you got to go toe to toe against some of these fast teams. Yep. Yep. And Book's a good quarterback. He's actually yep. probably one of their better quarterbacks that they've had there in a long time. But. One of my all-time uh, favorites, uh, my favorite tight end of all time, actually uh, played there, and I and I loved Notre Dame growing up, uh, and following him from there was Mark Bavaro. Uh, with the Giants was one of the original tough guy. You know, that Parcells uh, year and that era coming in, he wasn't a high draft pick of him, but he was 
Uh, he was one of my favorites, and they were always tough football players coming out of there, smart guys, tough football players, um, and a lot of them made a name for themselves. It just, I would have loved to have seen them win out Notre Dame. I would have loved to have seen the uncomfortableness from the committee last year had Notre Dame uh, ended up running the table there and uh, and getting it done. It would have been... I, they're not getting in again. And yeah. If they do, and if they do, Joe, doesn't matter what the line is against LSU, uh, Alabama, Clemson, just bet against them. Yep. Because once they get to that point, they're not going. It would be so good for college football. I mean, the rating, I'll tell you that, you, you put Notre Dame in against you know, a USC, or you put it up against any one of the big boys, uh, the ratings are... They were when they played Clemson, but they got smoked. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I mean, it was just ugly, man. It was like the ugliest football game. I remember that. From yeah, years. it was... Okay, uh, off <laughs> to our... Off to at, our least next... they, at least they play teams, too, though, at least scheduling-wise. No, their schedule is very good. Right. Their yep. schedule every year is very yep. solid. Yeah, and by the way, the service academies that they play are usually pretty good, too. They play Army. They play uh, Navy. They go up against all of them. Yep. Uh, okay, so let's hit on our second iconic stadium of the day. This is going to be Bush Memorial Stadium. This is the uh, initial uh, Bush Stadium that was played in St. Louis. This is not the stadium that's open now. This is the one from the past. They tore it down, built it up, uh, opened up in 1966. They tore it down in 2005. Home, of course, of the St. Louis Cardinals. Same they, area, though, right? I mean, it was right, the, almost yeah, right there. Yeah, right yeah, there. Almost yep. next door, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, built, you know, they, they, they do that a lot. So they have the land. They made the yep. other one into the parking lot. Um, and uh, opened up in 66, closed in 2005. They won a World Series championship in this stadium. Remember, this is after Stan the Man. Right. Ni- 1967 and 1982. They had a lot of lean years after 82 all the way through until Tony La Russa took over and yep. then things started getting a lot better for them. But uh, 67 and 82 were the championships there. Whitey Herzog, of course, the manager in 82. Red Shandies, their player and their manager previous to yep. that. And in terms of iconic players, there's very few franchises, Joe, that have the amount of guys that get in the Hall of Fame like the St. Louis Cardinals have. So let's, uh, yeah, let's no, take a look. Yeah, no, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Like yeah, that's... so Bob Gibson, <laughs> Hall of Famer, Cy Young Award winner, late 60s. Lou Brock, the same, and into the 70s as well. Uh, Ozzie Smith, of course, played on the 82 mm-hmm. uh, Cardinals team and is a Hall of Famer also. So that's Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer, back to back to back. Uh, Willie McGee, mm-hmm. uh, MVP in 1985, also played uh, on St. Louis his first year, his rookie year, in fact, was the World Series year in 82. I put Mark McGuire here. I think he's got to be here. He kind of put the Cardinals back on the map there for a little while. Yep. And then even though Albert Pujols only played from 2001 to 2005 mm-hmm. in that stadium, I mean, his numbers are better than any player in the history of baseball for that five-year period. Yep. So yep. Uh, I got to include him uh, certainly there as well. I guess there could be some debate about putting uh, Mark McGuire here because he only played a handful of years. Keith, Keith, uh, Keith Hernandez? No, like it, it, uh, it was, it was uh, a lot of good years there yeah, in the Cardinals. Yeah, but... But also with the Mets, you know, yeah. went on. He went on to the Mets. Gary yeah. Templeton, no, didn't make the list. Really good. Yep. That's a good name. Yep. That's a good name. Yep. It was there for a while too during those. Uh, the, and what about Bruce Suter? How come Suter didn't okay, make the so, list? Okay, so yeah, so Suter, I think, is the one that I could have had on here, mm-hmm. but because he played with Atlanta and he played with the Cubs, uh, he kind of split his career up amongst three teams. So that that would be the main one. He that, d- he d- played forever, didn't he? He was. Yes. Yeah. Joaquin Andohar was he uh, on uh, that now, list? Now, now you're digging. Okay, <laughs> you're going too far here. Andohar had like one year. Uh, let's see. Bruce Suter played with St. Louis from '81 to '84. Oh, really? And he, uh, you know, was he was the saves leader too? I think him and Raleigh Fingers were the for, for a while, and yeah. then Smith uh, went by him and crushed him. But yeah. uh, and Suter won his Cy Young Award in 1979. That was with the Cubs. It's not, and I and I know that he went into the Hall of Fame. I believe did he go? I think he went into the Hall of Fame with a Cardinals hat on. I'm pretty sure he did. I, I think, think he, he did. is the Cardinals Hall of Famer. But yeah. in the 12 years that he spent, he split them all up amongst three teams. And so while he is a Hall of Famer, I think he's just as much a Cubs Hall of Famer as he is a uh, Cardinals Hall. Yep. So. Beautiful stadium now too. Get if you guys get a chance, go visit it. It's uh, they love their baseball in St. Louis. Yeah, and and again since. They, they closed Bushtown in 2005. They mm-hmm. open up the new stadium in 2006, and they win the World Series in 2006. And then they win the World Series Building in 2011. Stadiums. And then they go to the playoffs <laughs> almost every single year. So you're yeah. right. It's a great environment yeah. for baseball. A lot of great players have played there as well. 
And when you talk about championships and you talk about mm-hmm. uh, guys in the history of the game who have, have played you know, just unbelievable series of games, I think that all of those guys have to be included. Yeah. And even there's some other ones, too, that we could come up with, too, that played on the Cardinals that we remember. Oh, yes. All right, uh, our final timeout here on Fantasy Sports today. We're going to come back with more. We'll uh, jump around a little bit, different just hot topics happening in sports and life in general. So we'll have for you uh, next, and then we'll be back here tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. for another edition of Fantasy Sports Today. Also, don't forget, coming up a little bit later, Scott Farrell, Coast to Coast, In Game Live, and all of the other great programming that we have for you here on SportsGrid and SportsGrid.com. So don't go away. We'll be back after this quick commercial message right here on SportsGrid. Craig and Joe, go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish along with Joe Ranieri with you here on the show as we close out another edition of our program. Make sure you tune back in tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. Eastern. Uh, Joe, we're looking at... Uh, yeah, I don't know why I hit that over there. It just happened to kind of uh, work its way out because I wanted to remind myself to ask you a question about it. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, ask, go. ask your question. Go no, ahead. I just... And I don't recall if I did it because, um, you know, we did talk about the, the drafting of the 90s team here yes, that was going yes. on, the second round. The 2000s, yeah. Was, and I, it was obvious two things stuck out to me on the whole list. You right. better have hit home runs during that era, right? Yes. For you, you at least to be considered the top and, of the draft. And we and you'll and if I could, if I showed you the whole draft, you would go the eighth round. There were still so many players really? that hit 30, 40 home runs. Jack, so it was home runs and and RBI. Yeah, that's all it was in the night. From about ninety five, ninety six, all the way through the second half. Every single player, every position, right? That you filled, the guy had thirty home runs, pretty much, even at catcher. And, even, and, even yeah, there, even short there. Stop. Second really? base, yes. Almost every position, yes. Right. So what, and I don't remember seeing him yesterday in the first round, and maybe I'm, I'm losing it, but was Roger Clemens in the draft? He or? was. He was in there, 97. Clemens from 97 was in the first round. He was in the first, okay, I was going to say. And and what about save guys? I mean, guys that were racking up. There were there were so many players also in, in the draft from 90 to 99 that right. had 50 or more saves that the people who did the draft smartly waited and took them a lot later in the draft because they knew that After. there were so many players available. Really? So they yeah, were the only that player many? that went. Yeah, the only player that went in the third round. I'll pull it up for you here since we're doing the show. I'm hopefully about too close to the camera. Wow, that's uh, crazy. Was was Dennis Eckersley was went in the third round? Really? And he was the only one because he put together the best season I've ever seen in the history of any reliever in baseball. What? And uh, that was when he was the A's. In 1990. The, okay. This is not even believable. So he was a third-round pick. Okay. Dennis Eckersley in 1990, in 70 innings, 73 innings. Okay. You got you to just, like, grasp this. In 73 innings, he struck out 73 batters. He struck out a, a one in inning. Okay. Wow. Oh. His ERA was .61. I think he gave up eight, eight runs the whole season. Are you serious? In the and, 90s, in 1990. And he walked four guys the whole year. Oh, my word. 73 innings. He won the Cy Young Award. He won the MVP. How does that, now, if I break that down, you're talking, right? So, was a lot of that just one-inning saves? Or, you know, because back then, too, he was a guy that would come in on the eighth as well, right? uh, Well, uh, no, not really. No, pretty much one-inning saves for him at that point. Because, remember, LaRusso was sort of the one that created the six, seven, eight, and nine. That's correct. Yes. So, yeah. so yeah, by that time, Eckersley was only throwing about one inning per, per Wow. Was. But, I, I mean, a .61 ERA and four wow. walks in 73 innings. Like, now, that was still Ricky Henderson, or had Ricky moved on to the Yankees? That was the end of that he was, era? He was, uh, let's see, 1998. Wasn't that Dave Stewart on that table? Like, like, wasn't that the... Uh, yeah, Ricky of, Henderson was there. He was yeah. there. That was just before he got uh, went to the Yankees. Wow. I think he was already with the Yankees. He came back to the A's at that point. At that point, he had already come back, right? Finished it up with that? Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, Canseco, McGuire. That was the Bash brothers, yeah. Henderson, yep. Dave, Dave Henderson. And you think about that era, and at that time, I mean, think about those guys that were in there, and he struck out a guy in inning. 
and had a 0. 0.6 Yeah, and, and he finished off Bob Welch's games. Bob That's Welch right. won 27 games. Wow. Wow. And yeah, those A's teams were just so ridiculous. Those were crazy. Yeah, Absolutely and, crazy. And and it was all Arusa figuring out ways to I mean that's when pitchers started not completing games. Right. Basically from 90 1990 on. In the 80s you saw the guys completing 12 15 games. It just stopped happening. What a difference between the 80s teams that you looked in your draft there and the yeah. criteria of doing it. It was stolen bases. Everybody was stealing bases, and everybody right. was pitching nine innings. And that, and that and, was and right. that was completely gone starting the 90s. So 90s, everything became about the long ball and about what? Strikeouts still? I mean, strikeouts? Uh, it, it was started, yes. There were a lot more 200 strikeout guys than there were in the 80s. A lot And more. that was it. So then it became all of so doubles and, and runs scored, that kind of thing, weren't. Um, yeah, that was part of it, but I, I think the other thing that really makes sense when you think about it now, and it is so evident, and you've now seen the difference yeah. in these two drafts, and you'll see when we start getting into next week's drafts how many guys start striking out 200, 250. There's oh, a lot more, yeah. yes. and why is that? Because they're throwing harder, but what also came about starting the 90s and 2000s? Tommy John surgery. That's why all these guys are getting hurt. Wow. So I can't all- wait to see what that draft's going to look like for the next decade. And that's really the evolution of what we've seen in the game, which is kind of crazy when yeah, you think next, about the it. The next one is much closer to, to where we to are now. It's now 2000 today. through 2009. Wow. So, yeah, that'll be... Uh, when do they play this game, play. by the way? When do they play the simulator? Uh, we start simulating this weekend with 1980s, next week with the 1990s. Can't wait to see. I can't so, yeah, so once it. a yeah. week or so, we'll, we'll do the results. Well, listen, at this point, it's the only results we have. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We're going to post them on FanDuel. You can bet it's on it. It's going to be awesome. That's a, we'll bet on them, too. i got no problem with that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, interesting. I don't really love getting into the politics side, but something did happen yesterday, and I, Ooh. you know, just kind of popped up with uh, okay. with uh, everyone knows by now all the people who are involved in the task, in the task force, the mm-hmm. uh, health task force for the president. Dr. Fauci is the name that everybody mm-hmm. uh, knows. Uh, he had he spoke about something yesterday that was really interesting and mm-hmm. it popped on social media. I want your opinion on this as too. Just the idea that moving forward as a country, right. we may not be shaking hands anymore when we meet people. Um, just the simple idea that that is gone and we just don't have that. I, I mean, it seems almost unthinkable. I would guess that from the point that we get back to normal, we're probably not going to be doing that for a while. But is there a chance we've seen the end, Joe, of of walking up to somebody and saying, nice to meet you, and just, like, there's no more shaking hands? Or do you think that that comes back? I think that's an interesting question. I don't see, yeah, listen, it's, it's human nature, guys. And we've been through pandemics throughout uh, the course of... Uh, uh, over the last 200 years, we've been through an awful lot that we've all known how it can transmit and all of those types of things. Um, yeah, I doubt very much that all of a sudden people are going to be hiding behind and, uh, oh, don't touch me. I, I do not see it happening unless we are locked up for a year, right, where we're not allowed to leave the house where it's like, oh, don't do it. I, I don't think there's still a significant portion of people in this country that, you know what? I, I, the streets are filled down here, man. They're still filled down with people. So uh, they're not taking social distancing that seriously. I don't know how it is that even by nature, you're just going to shake somebody's hand, give them a hug. I mean, you, you talk to me about some of these, uh, you know. It's just I guess if you, I, I, well, for people that you know, maybe it's maybe it's more of a thing of if you don't know somebody. But it is kind of strange to think about some of the differences that we may have when, when this is all over with. And, and that was brought up yesterday as a possibility that we just don't have that anymore the other thing got a lot of latin friends you know my italian household it it, they don't care if i haven't seen you in three years you're coming through the door everyone's getting a kiss everyone's getting a hug like it's just it ain't how listen i got a couple of freaky cousins too i don't know what where they're been they still come walking through the door we're still uh you know we're still high-fiving and we're still doing our thing so i don't know you're ever gonna get rid of that really And, and they were saying that uh you know, as well, the interesting part is that as part of like that possibility when we were talking about the the baseball all being played in Arizona yes. and all of that, like uh, no high fives. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. There no high five. No, no. I mean, like, I, I think it's yeah, no, um, because the truth of the matter is really 
the same types of things that we might have been able to catch prior. Uh, this is just one in a long line uh, by, you know, dealing with people. I do think this, though, I think people will never go, or I shouldn't say never, but I do think people way more cognizant now, washing their hands, not being disgusting. I not, agree you know what I mean? So I do think that maybe a little better hygiene in this country and uh, in certain places, that wouldn't be a bad idea. Um, you know, people might actually shower and wash their hands. That'd be and great. I got no problem with that, man. No problem with that. I, I think I think one of the other things that's going to come about, and this is a conversation that I had with somebody, is that I, I do think 100% everyone's going back to the movies again. Oh, yeah. But, but I think the second that anybody, like, starts coughing in the movies ever, I think yes. people are going to be, like, really freaked out by that. Like yeah. I, I And I think no matter what stage we get back to in this country, I think that... And again, people could cough in an open setting, and it won't be quite the same. People look at you like, ugh, why are you coughing? As long but, as you cover your mouth. If right, you're but just you know coughing. that people haven't been covering their mouth. Like, even though it's supposed, we're supposed to be doing that anyway, yep. like, you know in the middle of a movie, uh, yep. uh, people are going to be like looking. It's like the baby crying in the, yep. in the theater. Yes. Now it's the guy or the woman coughing yep. in the theater. I think yep. it's going to. Yep. It's going to be a... Um... Yeah, there's going to be, people are going to think about it now, be like, oh man, I can't, like, oh, what am I going to do? And that's a problem for smokers, that's a problem for, you know, guy rips seven bong hits before he comes into the movie theater. He's going to be coughing up a lung, like, it's, he's going to think about that ahead of time now. Yeah, exactly, like, put your vape pen down, dude, here it goes. You're going to get sideways yeah. looks. You're absolutely I'm, I'm going to. I'm glad you brought that up because yep. I was not considering that. But yes, yeah, so I'm just saying that, you know, there's uh, you got to think twice now about like, ooh, maybe I'll just stay home. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, the, how about traveling on planes? Well, listen, oh, the subway is not going to be. I mean, look at the subways now. You don't have even to take a York. subway. You drive yeah. wherever you no, going. No, no, I mean, but even look at the subways in New York, people, it's like, you know, I'm wearing a mask. All right. So, you know, airplane, same. I mean, that's just recycled air for how many times? Uh, My wife said that she's not going on a plane for a long, long time. Uh, listen, I don't so like what cruises do? for that reason. I always thought. Oh, yeah, I'm not going. I thought cruises were floating Petri dishes. And I was just like, I can't. This is. Yeah, no. Like, I can't. I haven't been on a cruise in a long time. But, yeah. But now I don't think. I and I hope, and, and, I, and I hope you guys do very well. Those of you who own cruise lines and are going absolutely. On I mean, listen, they're good. But, it wasn't for going. me prior to this. I didn't like being sardined in uh, with folks there. I just, I didn't, uh, I didn't like that feeling. And uh, but listen, it's a great way to get, you get. You can't go wrong. But I do think there are people who are going to think twice about a lot of. Listen, am I going to social distance when I'm at the blackjack table when it opens up? No, <laughs> there's a seat in yeah, it, when? and it's next to somebody I'm sitting down. That, you know, that's the first thing that's going to open back up, by the way, the Hard Rock here oh, in absolutely. Florida. Absolutely. When, when is that? They could probably already have a date already. That they're, they're They've been kicking it around. Well, as soon as, yeah. They're not, they're not, the Hard Rock is not going to be closed in June. There's yeah. no way. They, they'll be like, look, I'm sorry. Like, you're that, right. Like, like an, at a, wave, how many, how many people yeah. usually sit at Blackjack table? Five or six? Six. Six, yeah, yeah depending. They'll six be like, eight, oh, yeah. instead it'll be three. Yep. Yeah, I do think that that first wave of businesses coming back and, and things starting to get the normal, um, that first wave uh, casinos will absolutely. I mean, look at Vegas right now. I mean, the, 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 think about all the people work in those casinos and those types of establishments there. And again, if we don't go there, right, if we don't engage, they don't have a job. So, I mean, it's all... All tied in together, guys. You can't be playing blackjack from your home. Well, you could, but you don't really want to. Yeah, I, and 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 listen, those are, you know, some really good points. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be super interesting mm -hmm. once we we get some of this normalcy back. And and you know, what lengths do people go to still continue to be safe? It's interesting. We talked about Tom Brady. If you want to rewind the first segment, um, Tom Brady basically said that. One of the people uh, in the health department said that to act as if you have the virus, act yep. as if you're sick so you don't get any other people sick. And Tom Brady said that he basically lives his life sort of like that even before it to where if he if he, he has to make sure that he's in top physical peak condition mm -hmm. or else he's just not comfortable. And I think that it would be really nice for a lot of people to approach it that way. Mm -hmm. But I'm just... You know, I, I just I hope people just don't go right back into old habits when this is done, because then we could be sitting home here again doing this all over again. Well, I, I think and, and 
the way I see this is that hopefully in, uh, in another month or so, whenever, where they can, on a mass scale, uh, test people to see exactly who might have had it already and, and might have gotten it over it and had the antibodies. I think what we are going to see is that this is, we've probably, the amount of people who have had it in one form or the other, um, this has probably been around for a, for a little while here. And it's, I think that those numbers are gonna blow everything out of scale. And then to me, it's just like, whether it be a, a little more contagious, a flu, and we're still gonna have that list of things that are always going to be uh, a possibility of doing us harm. And then you gotta make a decision. Do, do I think I can live my life and be 100% safe? Like, absolutely not. So, uh, you know, then you're not really free. So what do you want to do? To me, let's wash your hands. Make sure that you check the people out whose hand you're going to shake. Make sure that uh, they look like they're washed their hands. And (laughs) better hygiene, I think. Well, let me see that hand. Give them some, you know, Purell in there, then shake their hands and you're good to go. But I hope, I think that's more of what we are going to see moving forward where maybe some gloves, uh, a lot of hand sanitizer, and people being uh, a little bit more careful that way. But get back to living your life. I hope so. I hope. Uh, I mean, everyone keeps using, even Derek Jeter on, yep. on the conference call, uh, I'm sorry, on the podcast that he had with the Marlins, I was listening to it. Mm-hmm. Everyone's using the term, uh, hopefully sooner than later. Yes. And it's like, that's like everybody's go-to right now. So I guess that we should use that as our, as our go-to. Sooner. As well rather than later yes uh before we go any good stuff on the tube you've caught recently anything good on television i know that you're just doing you're doing a million shows. i am yeah no i'm i'm trying and this I, is over do you just go to sleep that's it uh yeah no i go and and do more work and then so, yeah basically i sleep wake up and i do it all over again it's just it's a brutal schedule and now i now you got me sitting here talking about a horse game i've got to start handicapping so you you yeah, throw please, me for a total loop here mish total yeah. loop Ridiculous. All right, that'll do it for our show. Mercifully, we have, it has come to an end here. And hmm. we will be back tomorrow, 11 to 1, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on SportsGrid. Make sure you catch our show. And please let us know if there's anything that you want us covering, any specific topic. Uh, maybe there's a stadium or uh, a birthday or, or just or something that we've missed or something that we mm-hmm. should be covering here on the show. Please let us know. It's on Twitter. It's very easy. Yep. Just go to at SportsGrid and hit us up there. We'll make sure that we get it on this show in the future. For my co-host Joe Ranieri, I am Craig Mish. That'll do it for our show today here on April the 9th, 2020. Don't worry. We'll be right back here tomorrow for another edition of the program. Until then, have a great day. Have a great night. Stay safe. Wash your hands, as Joe said. Practice social distancing, and we'll talk again soon. Have a great day, everybody. See you. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.